Morning, everybody. Okay, um, you're going to need two different handouts. I'm sorry, there's quite a lot of paperwork today. You've had the cards already, so don't lose them. Um, there's various little piles around the room, and if you could pass these out, you're going to. One of them is just the one sheet, which is for today. But there's also this booklet, and uh, this is to cover. This is something that that really everyone needs uh, to take home. This is to cover the whole of the series that we're looking at. This is a sort of toolkit. I'll explain more in a minute. But basically, if you want to just move around a bit and pass those around, you'll need one of these A4 books, and you'll also need just a single sheet with the notes from today. So thank you for those of you who are passing them out. Feel free to split them up and send them down. How is everybody today? You good? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, good. Mm. Very English. Now, as Joe said, we are starting a new series uh, this week. It's going to run for eight sessions with a little break in the middle for the Father Heart guys. Although what they share is obviously really key in all of this too. Um, And the series is called Knowing Your Authority and Calling. But before we get to that, just pop the first slide up for me, will you guys? Thank you. I wonder what you think about when you think of the concept of good. Oh, hello. Good versus evil. There we go. The concept of good... <laughs> I know you do, Dom. I put this up specially for you. <coughs> throughout history, throughout time, this concept has been with us. The concept of good versus evil. There's always been this dynamic tension between the, the dark side and the light side. It's expressed through literature and culture and philosophy and religion. You know, even my kids, when they were really small, they pretty quickly learn. In, a, in any kind of given story, who are the goodies and who are the baddies? You know, um, whether it's uh, whether Star Wars is your thing. Um, as Christians, we believe that there is also good versus evil. Here's another picture I found. I mean, clearly we believe in God as a powerful spiritual force for good. Clearly we do. So therefore, it stands to reason, if we believe that, that there must also be God's enemy. The Bible calls him Satan, a force for evil and destruction and everything that is against God. Now, we don't talk about him loads much, over much in church because we don't want to give him the profile or the glory. But we do acknowledge the reality that he's there and the stuff that he and his forces can do can also and does also have an impact on us, on our family, on our friends, on our communities and on our workplaces. I mean, you just have to look around you. To know that that's really obvious. Spiritually, we live in a battle. And the more effective we are as believers, the closer to God we are, the more dynamic our relationship with Jesus is, the more likely the powers of darkness are going to want to come and oppose us. Dealing with that is not always easy. And that's why. That's why it's important to look at the Bible's strategies for how we win in a spiritual battle. Now, if you're thinking this is all beginning to sound a little bit far-fetched, don't forget the Bible clearly describes what Satan, God's enemy, is like. It uses a number of different pictures and words. It says he's like a roaring lion prowling for someone to devour. It describes him as a murderer and as the father of lies. And you know the story from right back in Genesis where Satan is depicted as a serpent or a snake, evil and cunning and out to trap us and out to get us. 
There's no doubt that he's evil. And there's no doubt that he's against us. But the Bible says that Jesus has won the victory. So there's no need to be gripped by fear about that. We'll talk a bit more about that later. Now, these are easy words for me to say, and you've probably heard them before if you've been around church any time. And the Bible says they're true. But in history, the church hasn't always found it easy to agree on the best way to work this out in practice. So growing up, I was taught about what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. The church I was in wasn't particularly weird or wacky. But when it came to an understanding of how this thing works out practically, to be honest, now I look back on it and what I was taught, and it seems pretty religious, a little bit far-fetched and surreal, and perhaps a worse scary, but certainly a really long way away from my experience. So for many years, I was under the impression that the main way that evil will express itself in my world is through occult practices, something I've never experienced for myself. So I was encouraged as a teenager to stay away from stuff like Ouija boards, horoscopes, satanic worship. These are the things that were talked about when I was growing up in church. Heavy rock music, drugs, witches, and something called backward masking, which means you play your record backwards and there are messages on it. Now, I never had any opportunity to do any of that. Maybe I led a sheltered life. I was never given, I never got anywhere near that stuff. And my, my parents, in their sincerity, God bless them, even tried to stop me watching this TV show on telly called Rent-A-Ghost. <laughs> on the grounds that it was about ghosts and the supernatural and it wasn't negative and we don't believe in that stuff. I watched it anyway. <laughs> Mainly because it was entertaining. On the other hand, I do remember reading and hearing a lady speak called Doreen Irving who wrote an amazing book called From Witchcraft to Christ. And her, she talked about her experiences and how she had literally been involved in satanic worship. She described some of the rituals that she was involved in. And then she also talked about her conversion to following Jesus and what happened when there were demons cast out of her. I mean, it's so dramatic and far-fetching. I, I have no reason to doubt it, but it was just so far away from my experience. And from the way you're nodding, perhaps it's the same for some of you. No? Okay. Maybe not. That's fine. That's fair enough. But it just seems so otherworldly, and I find that very hard to relate to, which is a real shame. Because, as I said, I have no reason to doubt any of that stuff. But as I know now, there were certain areas of my life where the enemy was probably having a field day. And for various reasons... As I went through my childhood and my formative teenage years, I had a massive emotional and spiritual hole, which I was trying to fill with certain behaviours, certain identities, certain relationships, which weren't having a great impact on my life. So even though I didn't understand how evil was expressed, what became clear to me and has become clear to me is that I didn't really know how to make the right choices and how to live the right way. And I made some pretty unwise choices and got into some pretty dodgy situations. And it wasn't until the last few years and some of the ministry I've received here that I was able to fully work those issues out with God and really understand, receive his healing and understand that actually the spiritual battle goes on in here most of the time. It's not out there particularly. I mean, it is, but for me, 
I never could relate to any of that. It goes on in here. In the things that I think about myself, in the patterns of behavior that I turn to for comfort, often false comfort, and in the stuff I do in secret when no one else is around. For most of us, this is where the spiritual warfare is a reality. And the enemy can have the effect of disarming and disabling us spiritually and throwing us off course and putting us off the route that Jesus has got for us. I mean, if Satan could have his way, we'd all be nice, ineffective, well-meaning Christians, but completely lost in a world of our own emotional issues and consumerism. Then he'd really have succeeded. We'd not be vital in our faith. We couldn't really connect with God. We certainly couldn't go and do stuff in his name. So actually, I've learned that spiritual warfare is more about prayer and the things I believe than anything else. There's a quote on the top of your handout. It says this. It's from George Bernard Shaw. A Native American elder once described his own inner struggles in this manner. He said this. Inside of me, there are two dogs. One dog is mean and evil, and the other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. When asked which dog wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, well, it's the one I feed the most. And this teaching series that we're about to embark on is so important because it explores in more detail just how we can engage with the spiritual battle and we can win it. How as believers who are trying to follow Jesus, we can practically deal with the reality of living within the influence of two spiritual kingdoms, darkness and light, light and darkness. How we can feed one, choose to feed one and choose to starve the other. And we'll be looking at this truth from the Bible and we'll be looking at some practical tools that will help us work this out. Now, we initially put this together as a course. We wanted to follow up the Freedom in Christ course that's been running and that many of you have been on. We thought the material was so helpful, though, and so life-giving that before we offer it as a course, which we'll do later in the year or next year, we just wanted to have everyone the opportunity to go through it. But this is not about information. This is about transformation. And time is limited. And so if if it's really going to have an impact, then each of us is going to have to take away some of these truths and reflect on them and take some time working out what they mean for us in life. So there's a whole bunch of information on these sheets and there's a number of Bible verses. And I will work through some of this, but I'm not going to do it all in detail. Um, And I've written it on the sheet because otherwise there's a lot there's a lot to get through. But this, this booklet we've, um, we've put together here, I'm really excited about this. This is a toolkit, okay? Because each week there's at least one tool, one takeaway, sometimes there's more than one, to go with the talk, the truth that we're, that we're talking about. And so you can take this with you, and if you're really, really super mega efficient, you can bring it back to church next week, but you don't have to. What I suggest you do is leave it by your bed or wherever it is that you sit every day. And just try and pray. Put, keep it in your bag. Because there are resources in here that will help us as we work out what this really means. Now, just to acknowledge, this isn't all our own work. Um, it's certainly not all my own work. Um, most of the material has been pulled together by Paul and, and a significant chunk of it by Brian. Um, but it is based on a course which we used to run in this church called Living Free. We've taken the best of living free. We've added some bits as well. So it's, and we've pulled together other resources from various different places. And so today's, uh, today's topic is called Our Place, Our Authority, and Our Completeness 
in Christ. And really, it's an introduction to this series. It recaps on some of the themes that are touched on in more detail in the Freedom in Christ course. How many of us have done that Freedom in Christ course? Yeah, a fair chunk of us. So today might be a bit of a reminder for some of you. Um, Also, we talked about some of these issues last term uh, when we looked at this trusted rulers uh, theme, the triangle that's on the front of your... Um, on the front of your books there. So by identity, we obviously mean who we are in Christ. It's really tempting, isn't it, to look for a whole load of places, people and cultural experiences to give us our identity. But the Bible says that our identity is in Christ. Well, what does that mean? It sounds really good, doesn't it? We are in Christ. Does it mean literally we climb into his body? I don't think so. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, uh, when he writes the letters in the New Testament. He uses it 86 times. 86 times to encourage the believers. It's a concept that he was really clearly, deeply enthusiastic about. And it's a deep spiritual truth. And here's one of the examples that he uses. He uses this example, this verse from Ephesians. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not physically, but spiritually, we take on Jesus' identity. We become part of his family and our identity is changed. We kind of become one with him. And you've heard this verse before as well. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old has gone and the new has come. We've been transformed. For anybody who chooses to follow Jesus, at that moment, we are transformed. That's what the Bible says. Now, you've probably seen this little bit before as well, but it's a really helpful little timeline. And Brian put this together. And, um, and this, is, this is based on the truth in the Bible. Because in Christ, this is the, the sort of story of Jesus, according to the Bible. He was born created, born on earth, died on earth, buried on earth, rose again on earth, and ascended back up to the heavens. There's a kind of, can you see there's three kind of levels going on here? There's the heavens, the earth, and below the earth. And the Bible says that this is what happened to Jesus. And after he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what the Bible says happened to Jesus. That was his journey. What about our journey? According to the Bible, when we choose to follow him, we have a journey that's very similar. We too are created in the image of God. We too are born of the spirit. That's what the Bible says. Like a rebirth, like a new life. Okay, we too choose To die with Christ. This bit's meant to be baptism. Because we too are buried with Christ. Symbolically, when we're baptised, we bury our sins and we identify with the buried Jesus. And we're raised with him. And we're ascended with him. That's what the Bible says. And then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got these diagrams on your sheet. And if you have a pen, what I want you to do is I want you to get an arrow and draw it to that bit there where it says, ascended with Christ. And just write, you are here. You are here. This is where we are, according 
to God's word, according to what God says about us, we are seated with him in heavenly realms. The verse there in Ephesians 2 says it all. We've been saved. He's raised us up and seated with him in heavenly realms. I mean, it's an amazing story, isn't it? When we choose to follow Jesus, we go through a complete transformation. Not only are we rescued, I mean, it's not enough just to sort us out and lift us out of the pit, but he actually puts us up in heavenly realms. I tried to imagine what this might be like um, in our world, just to kind of relate to it in some way. So just use your imagination for a minute. I know it's a bit far-fetched, but just imagine if I had made some really bad choices in my life and ended up being part of some street gang. And I'm subject to the control and manipulation of some evil criminals. I know it's hard to believe, but just use your imagination. And through my own poor choices and their bad influence, I end up trapped somewhere in the gutter in an unhealthy life of crime and addiction, and it's spiralling downwards all the time. And then just imagine that one day I'm going around my gutter existence and I bump into a member of the royal family. Now, my favourite members of the royal family right now are William and Kate, so I'm going to use them as just an example. They're a popular couple, aren't they? So they come to see me in my gutter in Winchester and they get talking to me and they say, we want to help you. And I find out, actually, that it wasn't just chance that I bumped into them. They actually heard about my situation And decided to come and help and offer me a way out. So I say, yes, thanks very much. That's very kind of you. I need some help. And I expect them maybe to hook me up with one of their charities. Or maybe arrange for a grant to cover some some basic expenses and some health care and counselling. Get me to talk to the right people in the council who can help me. Just get a bit straight. I mean, I'm really grateful to them. Even if they've just done that. But that's not all. In fact, that's only the start. Because in this illustration... They get involved in me personally. They pay off my own debts with their cash. They sort out this gang leader who's troubling me, get their hands dirty, buy me new clothes, phone up the doctors and other people to help me. But it goes further than that because then they invite me to come and live in their place with them. They give me a fantastic luxury room, no, a suite to live in so that I find that I actually don't really need anything. And I'm just being looked after and I'm part of the family. Me, a messed up guy. And then I kind of think, well, I'm doing all right here, aren't I? I've been rescued, haven't I? But William goes further because, you know, as time ticks on, he becomes the king. And he invites me to come and sit in the throne room with him. He actually wants me to help him run the country. Me, a messed up guy from the streets. Not just rescued but brought in to be one of his closest team, his trusted people. He gives me the authority to rule in his name, in his place. I'm I'm going away on a trip. You're in charge for now. To make judgments and decisions on his behalf. So I bear his name and I wear his uniform and I act and speak for him in all kinds of situations. I am important and influential. Wherever he sends me, I carry out his will and instructions. I bring about change and transformation in the name of the king. It's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? It's a bit ridiculous. But to be honest, metaphorically, that's the closest I can come to trying to think about what it would be like for Jesus to rescue me out of the gutter and put me into heaven and sit me next to him on his throne and tell me that I can go and rule in his name. Yeah? So I can't, so 
Here's a really cheesy picture. Because I just can't find any better ones. Um, but here's the, here's the verse that tells us that all this is true. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. I'm seated. I move in the circles of power. Here's another picture. If you've seen this movie of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, that's perhaps what it might feel like. And the Bible teaches me that this is what it means to be in Christ. And that actually, just as much as I am in Christ, he is in me. By the way, all of these verses that I'm quoting are written on the sheet in italics. And just because I'm not reading them from my actual Bible, they are in the Bible. This is the truth. Okay, this is the truth. We're not taking one passage and exploring that in depth today. We're taking a theme and picking out verses across it. So that's why um, that's why I've written them out like this. I've been crucified with Christ, the Bible says, and I no longer live. And the life, life I live in the body, sorry, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's on your sheet. And you tend to become like the people that you're with. So in every way, my identity, my heart, my spirit is wrapped up with Jesus. And I'm no longer just living my way, serving my own purposes and dreams, looking after myself. I've got involved in a life-changing relationship. And it's changed everything. A bit like when you get married. If you get married, you have to give up a whole bunch of things in favour of the one that you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with. It doesn't work if you don't do that. You don't have to deny yourself, you become one. But you do have to kind of shape and change your, some of your will and ideals. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. So knowing our identity in Christ leads to knowing the authority that we've been given. Because I'm married to Joe, sometimes I can speak and act on her behalf. When somebody rings me up and says, uh, can I speak to Joe Hemming? And I say, she's not here. I can speak for her. I can do that. There's a difference between authority and power. Authority is the right to rule. The right to rule. Power is the ability to rule. So authority is based on a position that we have, which gives that person the right to rule, within the limits and scope of that designated authority. We've been given authority in certain areas. You'll know about this from work. There's a certain area that's yours to look after, and there's other areas that aren't. You'll know about this from family. Power, on the other hand, is the strength or the ability or the capacity to exercise that rule and authority. And the Bible says that Jesus is the source of all authority. It says he's the source of all authority, that all things have been put under his feet. Under his feet means he's in charge of them. He has the power. He rules. God placed all things under his feet, and it goes on, appointed him, this is Ephesians 1, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And because we share... Jesus' identity, we also share his authority. 
There's a great story in the Bible about the disciples and how Jesus sent them out. He says, right, you've been following me and watching me long enough. It's your turn now. Off you go and do the things that you've seen me do. Heal the sick. Okay, feed the poor. Tell people the good news about Jesus. Go do it. Cast out demons. And he says, and he gives them authority. Go and do it in my name. Don't try and do it in your own strength. Do it in my name. It's like they got his stamp of authority. Yep. That's authorized. And it says that the 72 returned in Luke 10 with joy from this trip. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. It's there. Jesus was given the authority. Winchester Vineyard has been given the authority. We have been authorized. We have been authorized. And the disciples were really, really excited about that. They were thrilled. They were just blown away. How about you? How do you react when we experience God's power and authority for ourselves? Have you ever prayed for someone and they've actually encountered God's power and something's happened? Put your hand up if that's happened. Because it's happened to me. Brilliant. How do we feel then? I've got the power. Actually, I've got the authority and he's got the power. The power comes from the Holy Spirit, but the authority comes from our position in Christ. Do you get that? That's why we get to do what we do. Because of our position in Christ. Because of who we are. And the Bible says, because of this, we are full in Christ. I'm on to number, point number three on my sheet now. We are full in Christ, meaning we have all that we need to live this life. Everything that he's called us to, he's given us the resources for. Colossians 2.9 says, we are full in Christ. Um, that's the wrong verse. Sorry. Colossians 2.9 says, it's on your sheet, we are full in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And there's a little note there that says that that Greek word, fullness, the word is telos. It means completeness. It means completely full. There's nothing lacking. It's perfect. It's whole. It's finished. In Christ, we are complete. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing we need. Just him. Everything we could possibly need to live this life, this Jesus life that he's given us, everything is there. If we are full in Christ, then we don't need anything else. Then we don't need anything else to top us up. We don't need anything else to deal with our feelings of emotional instability or our need for spiritual satisfaction. We don't need substances. We don't need amazing experiences. We don't need potential certain people. We don't need money or material possessions. We don't need a thousand Facebook friends or amazing nights out or fantastic career prospects. We don't need any of that stuff. I mean, it's nice to have that stuff and I'm not knocking it, or well, some of it, but, but 
We don't need people to find us amusing or entertaining, to give us an affirmation. I mean, all of that's nice. But so often we go looking for it for the wrong reasons. And what, what are you inclined to do to try and top up, to try and fill that satisfaction hole? What's that for you? Have a think. What do you do? I know what I do. And the Bible says we don't need any of that because Jesus is enough. Because being in Christ and knowing the truth is enough. So as a church leader, it's so tempting to look at stats. How many ministries have we got? How many members have we got? How many baptisms have we had? How big is my church? Is it growing? Or actually, if I'm just, just can I just be honest with you guys? You don't mind, do you? Um, you know, as, as a leader in any, in any environment, it's sometimes quite tempting to just to look to the people who follow you to get your emotional needs met from them. You know? I mean, you know, you guys are all very nice and you're very encouraging. And don't stop doing that either. But in reality, if I come out of Sunday and I'm just looking for pats and strokes and I'm looking to get that affirmation from you guys, then I'm in a really unhealthy place. Because I need to get that from Jesus. And even if I preach my sermon and nobody tells me it was any good, I don't care. It's what Jesus says that I care about. That's for me. What is it for you? We all need just Jesus. I mean, what if we literally had nothing else? I, I have never even... I mean, I sometimes think about what would this be like? What if I lost all of my, I'm a bit like Job in the Bible. What if I lost all my family and all my possessions and everything, I literally everything I own and all I had left was what what I've got here and now? Would Jesus be enough? That's a massive challenge and a really hard question because I've never known what it's, what it is to be without safety or shelter or possessions. What about when I've got a few minutes to kill? I mean, I, I don't know if I, some of you who've had kids or have got kids, if you ever go and do the whole school pickup thing in the playground, you know, you see all the women in there and they're all chit chat, chit chat, chit chat. And you see the dads in there and they just stand there on their own. Uh, and if you've got two minutes to kill and you're waiting for your kid, what's the first thing you do? Well, I'll tell you what mine is. It's like, right, phone out, look busy, look important, check my emails, check my texts, see if anybody wants to say anything to me. And I'm, I'm trying to force myself, phone out, no, phone back in pocket. Just talk to Jesus. Is he enough? Do I need some sort of other stimulation or is just Jesus enough? What about when I'm feeling lonely or fed up or miserable? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's what the Bible says. So knowing the truth about who we are and the authority we've been given gives us the tools to actually engage in this spiritual battle. We've been given the weapons to exercise our authority and to do battle in the spiritual realms. That's what the next few weeks of this series are all about. It's about tooling up, guys. Think of it like the A-team. You know, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, and they start building a thing. That's what we're doing. We're building our, we're building our armory. We have the authority of Christ and the enemy cannot stand up against a direct confrontation of that kind of authority. He hasn't got a chance. We often let him because we forget that we have all authority. 
We forget who we are. Anytime I mess up or sin, it's because I've forgotten who I am. I've forgotten that I'm a son of the king. For some reason, it just kind of drifts out of my mind. Is it just me? But when we have Jesus in us, sorry, he has no, the only, sorry, I missed the paragraph. The only weapons available to Satan are lying, working covertly, deceiving, intimidating, and causing fear. And he has no chance, no chance when he comes into a power encounter with one of God's children who stand in the righteousness and the holiness and the authority of Christ. And when we have Jesus in us, we have every resource, every blessing, every inheritance from the Father that we need. And if you're ever, ever in doubt of that, then read it to yourselves. Now, if you get this big book and you turn to not the first page, there's an introduction there which you can read to yourself. But the second page at the top, it says Session 1, Our Place, Authority and Completeness in Christ. Now, we've reproduced there something called the Christian Birthright card. This is from the Tacoma Church who put together the Living Free course. You may have seen it before. And again, all it is is a collection of statements, all of which are based on truths from the Bible, which remind us of our true identity as those who have chosen to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes it's as simple as just reading the truth out loud. You know, we read when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, in the desert, every time Satan sort of threw a fiery dart, it was a word, it was a sort of battle of words, Jesus threw back a truth, which he knew from the scriptures, from the Bible. And that's what this is all about. It's about tooling us up to know who we are. So just, I mean, they're all amazing. I am a child of God. Born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Spirit, and seek to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I have had days when I have felt so rubbish that all I can manage to do is drag this out of my bag and read it and bumble it through to myself. I am the light of the world. But as you literally speak out the words, they have an effect. There is power in this truth. So literally, when I felt oppressed, disconnected, guilty, or ashamed, or all of that, all the things that Satan would have me thinking so that I'm rendered ineffective for the day, I've reached for this card and simply started to read it out loud to myself. It's not difficult. So the words speak to my spirit and the truth start to sink in. If you get to the end and you're not feeling better, start again. I promise you, you'll feel better after the second or third time through because this is the truth. This is the truth of what's in the Bible. And that's why we've given it to you. Take it home. Read it. Read it for yourself. Read it before you go to bed. If you're very creative, make an Instagram photo out of it or something. If you can write songs or poetry, write songs or poetry about it. Write it on post-it notes and stick it on your mirror or something. Whatever it is, set it as a reminder on your phone or your computer. Just take the truth and make sure that it's in your face. And just lastly, we're almost done here. Each of us has a unique and personal calling. And towards the end of this series, the last couple of weeks are all about trying to just just helpfully unpack. What is it that, how do I find out what God's really called me to? 
So being filled with Jesus isn't just about us being more Christ-like. It's about discovering more of who he has made us to be. As it says there, the more I come to recognize Jesus in me, the more I become the true me that he's made me to be. Each of us has a significant, unique and special calling on our lives, which only we can fulfill. I'm really sorry, but for now, I am the leader of Winchester Vineyard Church because that's the calling on my life. And you are the whatever you are because that's the calling on your life. And if you're not in the place where you should be, then God wants to speak to you and put you in that place. And he'll do the same for me at some point in the future. No one person's calling is more important or special than another's. Might be more visible, might have different demands, but it's no, no more special. And it's really, really important for us to discover and then walk in our true God-given personal design. If we're to know the fullness of God's freedom and the fruit in our lives, and that's what we're going to look at later in the course. So surprise, surprise, what's Satan's number one strategy to interrupt this communication? To stop us from really knowing who we are, from really knowing the truth about what the Bible says and what we're called to. And then if we do find that out, he then just tries to stop us from being that person, tries to throw us off course. He'll do anything, big stuff or little stuff. He'll do whatever it takes to take us off course, to take us out, to marginalise us, to put us on the bench or whatever. He'll tempt us to walk away from God. He'll tempt us to be distracted. But the truth is, as it says in this last verse that I reproduced for you here, have I got any more on here? Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him too in glory. A friend of mine many, many, many years ago once prayed this prayer. And it was this, Lord, please stamp eternity onto my eyes stamp eternity onto my eyes so that whenever i look i'm looking through the lens of eternity and i'm not looking through the lens of how i feel right now here and today and that's why this stuff is so important so that we can really get know who we are and get on with doing what we're called to so that we can lift our eyes above our situation live our lives above ourselves and live the adventure and that's what this series will deal with. We've got a real adventure. You know, I've spoken, I won't go over it again now, but I've spoken recently about what I feel like God's calling us to. He's promised us, he's promised us some amazing things as a church. You know, just two weeks ago, I shared with you this word from Genesis about how God was saying, you know, you're going to expand, you're going to see growth. You know, all of this I've promised to you. He's got huge plans for Winchester Vineyard and the community around it. He's got huge plans for each of us as individuals and he is calling each of us to be his trusted rulers, to be fruitful and effective for his kingdom. But it starts here. It starts by knowing the truth about who we are from the Bible and what we've been given and how we live that out in reality every day. So why don't we stand together? Now what I'd like you to do, if you can, is I'd like you to pick up that sheet, the one with the birthright card on. And we're just going to take a minute to be quiet. And I just want you to sort of start to read through those promises. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to be here, prompting us and being with us. And I'm just going to ask for the truth of what's in there to start impacting our hearts.
And it may be that as you read, there's one of them that you read and something sort of shifts in you. You know, it may be that you just sense, oh, what's that? It may be that the spirit just kind of quickens something to you. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because it's something that you struggle with. Maybe it's something you struggle to believe in. Now, I mean, you could do this sort of in your own strength anyway. It'd be very easy. And what I might advise you doing is read down them later. What, which of these ones do I really struggle with? Those are the ones to focus on. But just for now, ask the Spirit, which of these is he bringing to mind? So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for who you say we are. We thank you for your amazing love for us. And now, Lord Jesus, will you quicken that truth to our hearts? Because we know that this truth, you say your, your word is like a two-edged sword. It's sharp and it cuts to the point. And we want to be challenged and cut by the sharpness of your word. So, Lord, which of these truths are we really struggling with? Show us where we need to do some work here. Show us where we need to step into who we really are and believe the things that you've said about us. Holy Spirit, just come and lead us, we pray. Come and lead us, we pray. We welcome you. And if you've landed on one, just keep reading it to yourself. Maybe even under your breath start to speak it out. And let the power of that truth impact your heart. And even as we do that, I know that God is ministering his truth and his love and his grace to us. And some of us have really struggled with this stuff. And some of us have struggled to, in our minds just to get, get hold of this truth. And also there are some of us maybe who, as we read this stuff, we think, well, I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I don't know if I even am in Christ. Maybe you know that picture I shared earlier, slightly far-fetched picture about being in the gutter and being rescued by the king. And it may be that there are some people here who feel like that's kind of a, maybe a bit of a picture about where they're at. And it may be that you need Jesus to rescue you, to reach down, as it were, into the gutter and pull you out. And if that is you, we would absolutely love to pray with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to pray right now. And if that's you, I'd love you to just echo my prayer. So just do that in your head or under your breath. If that's the place you want to, if that's what you want to say to Jesus, this is your opportunity to do it. So Lord Jesus, here I am. And I sometimes feel like I am in the gutter. At least, Lord, I know that I need some help. Would you come and rescue me? I don't yet know that I am in Christ, but I really want to be. So come and be in my life and take my life and swap my mess for your love. Holy Spirit, come and help me as I choose to follow Jesus today. Amen. You know, if that's a prayer you've prayed, we'd love to hear about that. Please just be brave enough to come and tell me. I won't force you to do anything or ram anything down your throat, but I'd just love to hear. 
We'd love to give you a book. We'd just love to meet with you and maybe pray with you if you want us to. And for everyone else, there's some truth here to take with us, isn't there? So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. And for some of us, Lord, we just we know that we just need to let this truth sink in. Thank you for your presence here. And as we go from here, may we know your presence with us. Thank you for your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. If you did want to receive prayer, if you did help come with any other requests, we would love to pray for you. Don't forget the unity service tonight. Please take these with you. Put your name on them and bring them back next week. Put your name on them. Otherwise, they'll get, we'll, we'll make sure they're more around for people who missed one. If, you've, if you know people who didn't make it today, you could take one for them. We've also, there's a PDF version available on the website or there will be with this talk later. And don't forget to fill in your life group card and go and just speak to the guys at the life group table um, and get signed up for that this week. Bless you guys. Have a great day.